We're continuing our uh, sermon series on spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. And it's a phrase that we will continue, continue to use until the day Jesus returns. We will continue to say spiritual disciplines. And soon, when Jesus comes back, and when we get to that side of heaven, we will be calling them spiritual delights forever and ever. It will no longer be called discipline, I believe. And... We are going to continue this sermon series, and today it's a very interesting spiritual discipline that I'm going to be preaching about. So far, we've preached about the spiritual discipline of the Word of God. We've talked about being in prayer. We've talked about the Sabbath. We've talked about practicing the presence of God. We've talked about fasting last week. And these are all spiritual disciplines that all of us can say, yeah, that is a spiritual discipline. That goes on the list. But today, it's interesting. Um, And as I'm going to preach today, we're going to learn why this is a spiritual discipline. And it is a discipline of discipleship. All right. Everyone say discipleship. Discipleship. A couple years ago, six years ago, I was staff at a mission school, a discipleship school called SMS. Very creative for summer mission school. Now it's called Arrow School. And we gather students from all, all across the world to be discipled together, to live together for a couple of weeks and to learn what discipleship is. And we have many guest speakers come in. And this particular guest speaker, he was a missionary in China. And he came to our school and he taught a whole day session on the topic of discipleship. And he came, he came in guns blazing. He came in hard. And it was very convicting and very challenging. And this is how he started. Very kind, very warm-hearted guy. Say, hey, guys, how are you doing? It's so good to be here. I love being in your presence. I just want to ask you guys a quick question. Raise your hand if you guys been, have been a Christian for more than five years. Right? We are like 25 students. Right? Raise your hand if you've been a Christian for more than five years. And then like 95% of the students raise their hand, including the staff. Right? And then he's like, that's awesome. Praise God. Like, you're so important, and praise God that you are saved. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my next question. He says, raise your hand if you are, for those of you who have raised your hands, uh, can you raise your hand once again if you, can, if you right now can say that you currently have one disciple? If you are making one disciple right now, that you can confidently tell yourself that I am, I am obeying the Great Commission, and I am... Obeying, you know, I'm making disciples. And like three people raise their hands. Three people raise their hands. And that's pretty startling. Um, it was pretty heavy after he said that. All the students were so excited because uh, the school has been going so well. And then he dropped this question on us and all of us just sitting there like, oh. <laughs> and then he goes in the most loving and gentle way. He says, man, we need to revisit our faith. We've been a Christian for more than five years, and we're not making any disciples. What's going on? Have we taken scissors and cut that verse out of the Bible? Like, what's going on? Very challenging, very challenging message. And I remember that moment to this day because I was just so cut to the heart. Because I couldn't evade it. I couldn't avoid it. It's in the Bible. And it's, and it's commanded by Jesus Christ himself, our Lord, our Savior. I bring this up to ask the question, what does it actually mean to be a discipler, a disciple maker? What does it mean to be a discipler? And furthermore, why is discipleship a spiritual discipline? Because I thought, hey, isn't all the spiritual disciplines, all the spiritual disciplines come under the umbrella of discipleship? Isn't discipleship practicing all the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and reading the Bible and and generosity and Sabbath? Isn't that the life of a disciple? Why is that umbrella term called a spiritual discipline? And what I want to emphasize today is, although that is true, what is a spiritual discipline is actually becoming a discipler, which is different. It's becoming a leader. It's teaching People, all that Jesus has commanded, that is a discipline. So we're going to go into that today. It's one thing to say, 
It's one thing for someone to say, imagine Paul, Apostle Paul here right now. It's one thing for him to say, hey, follow Christ. Be a disciple. Follow Christ. Lay down everything and follow him. But it's another thing for Apostle Paul to say this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul, in fact, did say that. Because he himself has taken up that charge to not just be a disciple of Christ himself, but he's saying, follow me, let me, I'm going to disciple as well. As I follow and point to Christ. So let's look at what scripture has to say about this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Let me give you about a couple seconds to turn there. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And the word of God says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Amen. Here we see in this account and also in the account of in Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 1, it records the same account. It talks about when the first, what we know as the 12 disciples of Jesus, it's the calling of the disciples. It's the calling of the disciples. And what we see here, and here's the setting. Jesus, he came here down onto earth, and for about 30 years he did life. Jesus incarnate, God incarnate here on this earth. Jesus, he was raised as a little boy. And for 30 years, the Bible doesn't really record everything that he did within those 30 years. But after those 30 years, what happens? It says in earlier in Matthew's account in the beginning, it says that, he was baptized. Jesus goes to the Jordan River. He's baptized. And then there in that scene, we see the Trinity very present. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. And the Father says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. He's baptized. And right after that, Jesus begins his ministry. Jesus begins to heal the sick. He, he begins to preach and declare and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. He begins to cast out evil spirits. He begins to go around and do all these ministries, all these things that he actually did not do in the 30 years of his life there, after he was baptized. And he's doing all these things, and then he's gaining a following. He's gaining a following. He's doing his thing, and people are beginning to notice what he's doing. Of course, People are going to notice what he's doing. He's healing the sick. He's declaring and preaching the good news. He's going into the synagogues and confronting the Pharisees. Challenging what they're preaching. If there was Instagram back then, every Insta story would probably have him included in it. Everybody's following him. He's, he's getting famous. And after some time, of doing this for a little while. It says here. At the Sea of Galilee. He goes and finds these disciples. He finds these disciples. Peter, Andrew, James and John. Hallelujah. Right. And then, to, and then he asks them. He comes, he comes up to them. And they're fishing. And he says one thing to them. He goes up to them. And he says what? Follow me. He says follow me. Let me talk about these disciples a little bit. These disciples, what were they doing? They were fishermen. And when it comes to being a fisherman at that time, they were professional. They were good at what they did. The Sea of Galilee was known to have many, many storms. They were professional in how to weather those storms, how to go through those things, and how to fish very well. Professional, but the Bible says also that they were very uneducated. 
And I don't want to equate that with poor. The Bible doesn't say that they were poor. Actually, they had a booming business. But they were uneducated. They're blue-collar workers. And Jesus comes. And it says two things. He says two words. It says, follow me. And we read here in scripture, immediately. Immediately, they dropped their nets and they followed him. And we can't, we can't just read that and read it as if that's a normal thing. A lot is going on in here. What is going on in here? When Jesus says, follow me, what is it about Jesus? What is it about what Jesus says that they could immediately drop everything that they're doing and follow him? And it wasn't just talking about that moment in their day. Hey, take a break. Hey, let's go for a walk. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying this, why could they do it immediately? It's because of who was inviting them. Who was inviting them? And at that time, Jesus being the talk of the town, he was going around teaching extraordinary things. And he was known as a teacher, a rabbi. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And at this time, he was the greatest influencer of his days. One of his, he was the influencer, right? Everybody was influenced by him. Everybody was listening to him. And here Jesus is. When a rabbi calls fishermen, yes, the natural thing to do is immediately they would follow him. Immediately they would follow him. Because I want to share about the first century Jewish context a little bit. First century Jewish context. When it comes to being raised as a Jewish boy, they would be raised going to school And in the school, they would learn and study the Old Testament. They would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would study it, study it, study it. And then after they graduated at the age of 13, what would happen is them and their family, depending on how their studies were, they would go out and they would go out to seek the most influential and the most wise and well-known rabbi to personally disciple them. They would apply. They would seek after it. And then if they said the rab- if the rabbi said yes, it would consider one of the greatest, highest privileges to be discipled by a great, great rabbi. It's kind of like if you saw um, the drama Sky Castle. It's a Korean drama. It's talking about the education system here in Korea. Talking about how... All these students, they're raised, going to school and studying and doing all these things. When they get to a certain age, when they get to college, what do they do? They seek out a tutor. They seek out a really well-known, famous, they know how to get them into the best university. They would seek them out. And then when the tutor examines them, and if they qualify, if they qualify, sees potential in them, then they would say yes. And that would be such a great high priority for them. For those who saw the drama, you know what I mean, right? But it's not just a drama. It's literally what happens here in Korea. But that's not what's going on here. What's going on here? They're not approaching this great rabbi, this famous rabbi. They're not approaching him and be like, can we come under your wing? The rabbi is approaching them and saying, follow me. The rabbi is going to these fishermen. They're not seeking him out. Jesus is inviting them and giving them the greatest honor and privilege. Would you like to be my disciple? When he says, follow me, it means, will you be my apprentice? Will you be my student? Will you learn from me? That's why... In the book of Matthew, we've heard that verse before. I, I, I shared this in my other message on Sabbath. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, my ways are easy and light. Take my yoke upon you. Actually, in the Jewish context, the yoke, it actually meant as a rabbi. When a rabbi says, take my yoke upon you, it means take my teaching upon you. Take my ways upon you. Come to me, all who are weary and tired and heavy laden. You've been struggling so much doing things your way. Come to me. Let me teach you my ways. Take my yoke upon you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Follow me. Of course, 
immediately they would drop their nets and follow him. What an honor. What a privilege. It wasn't a situation where the disciples were like, hey, actually, let me think about it. Let me try this out. Let me, do you have like a 30-day free trial? You know, like, let me just try out life if it's, you know. It was the real deal. It was all in. It was all in. They understood what was at stake. They understood the cost. And the cost for them here was they would drop their nets. They would drop their livelihood. They would drop everything that they would do to sustain themselves and their lives. Knowing that everything is a question mark ahead of them. And said, wow, this great rabbi is asking me. Yeah, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. There's a phrase, a Jewish phrase that says this. Powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. It's a Jewish phrase. I'm going to say it one more time. Powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. To a first century Jew, everybody knew what this meant. Powder yourself by the dust of their feet. What does this mean? This meant this. When it comes to following a rabbi, be so close to them. Tail behind them ever so close that even the dust of their sandals will come all upon you. And that you will be caked by their dust. Not literally. But what it means to be caked by their way of life, by their teaching, their ways. And when Jesus asks these disciples and when Jesus asks every single one of us. Can I remind us, it's not one of those things to us, this entitled generation, right? It's not one of those things where it's like, hey, let me just, let me think about it. I want to remind us, it is such a high calling and a high privilege. When the King of Kings comes and invites us, will you, want to, will you like to be my disciple? Will you follow me? And we're, we have the privilege, privilege of walking with him, staying close by behind him, getting straight up caked, <laughs> caked in who he is in his teaching. That is discipleship. That is discipleship. So understanding the context is really important. Another, I like the word apprentice. Apprentice, being a student, student of Jesus. And that's how the disciples first met Jesus Christ. The first identity of Jesus that they got to know him as first was a rabbi who asked us, who asked me to follow him. Yeah. If a book was written about your life and the way you live and someone were to articulate and put into words your ways, and read your ways, even though you may not, we may not formally talk about it, just by the way we're living. And someone were to pick it up and read that book, and you were to be a quote-unquote rabbi, to whoever picks up your book of your life, it becomes your apprentice. What's, what would their life look like? What would their life become? Right? You see, each and every one of us, we are called to be disciples. But Jesus has given later on, Three years of doing life on life and discipleship and being an apprentice with Jesus. At the end of those three years, Jesus says, now you do it. Not an earthly rabbi, but you be a discipler. By the way you teach, by the way that you live, you've been caked with how I am. And in that same way, would you pass on my ways? Early Christians of that day they were known as the people of the way. Can we say that together? The people of the way. Yeah. In our Bible study meeting, uh, we meet once a month for the one-year Bible study meeting. And the first one we had, uh, JM talked about a huge macro theme that we find in the Bible. If we were to simplify this macro theme, it's talking about we either live by our ways or we live by his ways. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But he calls us to be his apprentice to learn his ways, his teachings, his life, how he is, his demeanor. 
the people of the way. And that extends to all of us here today. We have been invited to be part of the people of the way. All of us daily were faced with so many choices in our day in and day out. We deal with and we encounter all these different types of people. All these different circumstances. Every single one of us in here is very unique in that. Everyone has a different class they're taking in this school of life, let's call it. How we respond, how we approach people that are different from us, how we approach problems and circumstances and struggles and life that is presented for us day in and day out, it's all going to be influenced by either our ways or his ways. Our ways or his ways. Right? So they dropped their nets. They counted the cost. And to them, it's a display of immediately a full surrender and submission. But it's not dragging their feet, full surrender and submission. They counted it as an honor. And they did what? They died to themselves. And they chose the life of Christ. For the next following three years before the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, for those three years, they were the apprentices of Jesus, learning his ways. And they learn that once you decide to follow Christ, Jesus said directly in Scripture, those who will come after me would deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Later on, Apostle Paul caught that. And he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ, His ways, His teachings, His life, His heart, He lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. So, there is a cost here. There is a cost here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book, a lot of great books. One of it was on discipleship, the cost of discipleship. And he coined this famous phrase. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What an invitation. (laughs) Anybody want to sign up? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Because the life that he gives is so much better anyways. His ways, have you ever heard this in the Old Testament? His ways are higher than our ways. The heart of David as he prays in in Psalms, show me your ways, teach me your paths. Lead me in the way of righteousness. We die to our ways. The way we process things, the way we make decisions, and we take on his ways. We take on his ways. There is a cost to following Christ, but the reward eternally outweighs the cost. Uh, when I was living in Africa for a couple of years, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I was living Africa in Gambia. It was a ninety-five percent Muslim country, and every each year on Easter, on Easter, I had the privilege to go to the beach with um, the community that I was living with. And every time we went to the beach on Easter, it was known as Baptism Sunday. We would go, we'd go into the ocean, and then people that encountered the love of Christ and the revelation of Jesus, they would choose to become a Christian, to follow Christ, become the people of the way. Powerful times. We would go into the ocean, and then we would sing uh, these two songs, we sing one song in Mandinka, which is one of their, one of their um, local songs. And the lyrics says, he is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then they're baptized. But here's the thing, there's not a dry eye there in the ocean. Everybody's weeping. Those who are getting baptized are weeping. Why? They're thinking about the cost of following Jesus. Because what it means to be a Christian in that society and follow Jesus. 
it's automatic. They got disowned from their parents, disowned from their family. They don't have a mother and father anymore. Economically, huge disadvantage to be hired as a Christian. And then the social pressure and the persecution, that's what they were signing up for. But they would choose to be baptized in that ocean, come out a new creation. And then we would finish by singing what song? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me, still I will follow. And they come out, they go in weeping in tears, and they come out laughing with so much joy. Because they go in knowing the cost of following Christ, and they come out understanding the reward of following Christ. What an honor it is to be a disciple of Christ. And it took me being there and remembering, wow, there are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We have brothers and sisters in Christ where they have chosen uh, with a big cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that. Yeah. So the disciples, what are they doing? They're following Jesus. They let everything down. What are they doing? They're witnessing. Everyone say witnessing. They're witnessing the power of Jesus. They're, witness, they're witnessing him preach the gospel with authority. They're witnessing him healing the sick. They're witnessing him doing all these crazy things. And then I'm sure they were thinking, wow, that's crazy. That's amazing. Little did they know that they would be doing the same thing later on. Can you imagine the insecurity? Can you imagine the pressure of like, dang, to follow this rabbi Jesus and to sit at his feet and to hear his teachings? And yeah, I hear his teachings about forgiveness. Yeah, I think I could do that. I hear his teachings on turn the other cheek. That's pretty radical, but I think I could do that. You know, like all these teachings that they're trying to emulate and learn from their rabbi. They're being caked with all this stuff. And then what, do, what does Jesus do? He goes and heals the sick. He goes and hangs out with people that people aren't supposed to hang out with. And now the disciples are facing some kind of internal pressure. And it's like, oh, I signed up for this. I chose to follow this rabbi. Because in the first century Jewish context, it was not just about the knowledge that people learned. In discipleship at that time, it was application. And, and immediately of everything that they learn. So they witness and observe. And then Luke, let me, let me read Luke chapter 9 verse 1 for us. It says, and he called, Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So the process of discipleship looks like this. Witness, emulate. And then being sent, empowered. The disciples, three years, that was a process. They saw, they lived with. And Jesus says, now you do it. I've empowered you. They emulate. And later on, when Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to empower them. And what do they do? They are empowered and they are sent to do what Jesus did. But even greater things, as Jesus said. Discipleship seems exciting, doesn't it? But it costs, it costs us our flesh. It costs us our reputation. It costs us our, our rights. We lay down our rights. How do we approach discipleship? Do we think more about the cost or do we think more about the reward? Three years of believing and being convinced. They saw Jesus as a rabbi. And after three years, guess what? Now he's not just a rabbi. They're beginning to awaken. He's their friend. He's their savior. He's the Messiah. Can you imagine you following 
a certain rabbi, and you're feeling so honored and so blessed that this person is your rabbi. And then two, three years into it, you you begin to notice, oh, he's not just a rabbi. Oh, wait a minute. He's a savior of the world. Oh, wait a minute. He's the one that was prophesied about in all of the Old Testament. And you begin to grow in that humility, in that gratitude. Wow, I can't believe I'm a disciple of Jesus. And then he leaves. And he gives this commandment, Matthew chapter 28. All authority is in my hands. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I commanded you. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. And then he <laughs> leaves. But he promises something. I will send a helper. I will send the Holy Spirit. He will continue to disciple you. Continue to live out my ways. But this world needs Jesus. The world needs the church to be his hands and feet. The world needs people to be committed to this spiritual discipline of being a discipler. Obeying this commandment. Yeah. Not only does this mean that all power belongs to him. When he says all authority is in my hands. He's not saying I'm just powerful. He's saying I've demonstrated that my ways is the real deal. I've shown it. I've demonstrated it. It's proven. It has authority. And he says, go and make disciples. Um, And it says here in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, imagine this, not just imagine it, believe it, because it is what it says in Scripture. Jesus says to each and every one of us, follow me. Follow my ways. Die to yourself. Let my life be lived in and through you. And then Jesus says, here's my commandment. I want you to go and teach everything that I commanded you. That's for every single one of us, not just pastors, not it's for every believer that chooses to follow Jesus. We are called to teach in word and in action everything that Jesus has commanded his disciples. Question, what are the commandments of Jesus? When I first thought about this, if you're like me, only two of them came to mind, (laughs) three of them. The one that he said right here, go and make disciples of all nations. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the only commandments that I thought of. And these are the main ones. But how can we be growing up and being discipled in church and only know these three commandments of Jesus? How are we supposed to be called the people of the way? Uh, uh, an apprentice of Jesus, if we don't know what to teach people. Because he's commanded us to teach these things. And just to name a few, just to name a few, here are some teachings and commandments of Jesus. Repent of your sin. Follow him. Be a discipler. Be reconciled to one another. Do not lust or covet. Turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. When people do you wrong, bless those who persecute you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, generosity in the hidden place, prayer in the hidden place, Sabbath and rest and seek the Lord. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Enter through the narrow gate, pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest field, honor your parents, but also do not love them more than God. Deny yourself, take up your cross, do not despise or disallow children from coming to Jesus. Don't stumble others from coming to him. Honor marriage, be a servant, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Eat his flesh, drink his blood, communion, await his return. Reach unreached people groups, feed the poor, heal the sick, watch and pray. These are just to name a few. 
Are we caked? Are we caked? Does this dust cover us completely? And I'm not here to make people feel condemned and feel bad. But I want to invite us to open up our hearts to conviction. It's not too late. He still invites us to follow him. To learn his ways. We need to pay attention now to the red letters of the Bible. And the gospel accounts. Pay attention to the red letters. The sayings, the teachings, and the testimonies of Jesus. The gospels, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' first sermon, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. If we are called to be his disciples, we should, we should know. We should really know. Matthew chapter 5 to 7. If there is anything we should memorize in scripture, we should memorize a lot. But if there's anything that we want to memorize as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, it should be Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Because it is his commandments, it is his teachings. That's why on a side note, here's a side note, a little plug. For this season, um, the beginning of March, we're starting house churches. And what we're actually going to be studying and going into... Uh, This season is actually Matthew chapter 5 to 7. For those of us who are in-house churches, um, please look forward to it. For those of you who want to, please sign up. Okay, come see me after if you want. Please sign up. And this, for the next three, four months, we're going to be studying the ways of Jesus. We're going to be studying his commandments. And we're going to be going into, we're going to get caked. (laughs) Not just knowledge, but we're going we're gonna to apply it. We're going to be disciples. That's, what, that's the direction of how God is leading us right now. You excited? All right, prepare to die. <laughs> <laughs> prepare to die. God's out to kill us. No, <sighs> kind of. You see, when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, Um, This is really interesting. When you read the book of Matthew, Jesus, every time he speaks, those red letters come out of his mouth. Every every time that happens, who's listening? There are three types of people that actually Jesus is speaking to when you read the Gospels. One is, uh, it says the great crowds. People that are like, oh, the Insta story people. The fans, we'll call them the fans of Christ. The fans of Christ who are there to want to be entertained. They're intrigued at what's going on. Great crowds are saying they want to see the miracles. They want to see God move. The fans. Second type of people are the, I'm going to call them the the phonies. (laughs) The fake followers, meaning the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes. They think they're following God, but their hearts are far from. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, dead on the inside. They're not friends with Jesus. They have no interest in listening to Jesus. As a matter of fact, they crucify Jesus. These are the, 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 the phonies. The fans, the phonies. And you can guess the last F, the third type of people he's speaking to is who? The followers. The disciples of Jesus. Now the followers... The fans, the fakes, and the followers. The fans, they observe and are entertained without much obedience and practice. The fakes, there's much obedience and practice of religion, but no relationship with Jesus. But the follower, the apprentice of Jesus, they grow in the right knowledge and the right practice of Jesus. They've died to themselves and taken on the ways of Jesus. These are the followers. And as these followers have gotten to know Jesus and doing life with him, it's really cool what Jesus says. Not only are they students in that Jesus is a rabbi, Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 14 to 15. Here's, here's, a, here's the F, the other F that we're trying to transition into. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. 
I love what King David says in Psalm 25, 14. He says, friendship with God is reserved for those who fear him. Friendship with God. What an honor it is to not just be an apprentice and a student of Jesus. but He's our savior, but also he invites us. Hey, let's do this together. How about a friendship? Friendship with Jesus. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Before I ask the question, where are you? Who is Jesus speaking to? Are we more of a follower? Are we more of a fan? Are we more of a phony? Right? Are we a friend? Like all these Fs, what are we? Before I want us to answer that question, here's the reality. The reality is this. We have all four, all, all of those in, in, to some degree in, in all of us. I'll be the first to admit, not all the times I'm a follower, I resurrect the wrong thing. I die to myself and I resurrect myself. Right? A lot of times I'm a fan. I like to repost on Instagram the things, the sayings of Jesus, but I don't necessarily live them. I like to say things that tickle the hearts of people, but when it comes to the cost of it, do I really want to do it? And a lot of times, I mean, I'm a pastor. A lot of times I'm a phony. A lot of times, do I really, am I really walking with Jesus? Am I just being religious, checking off all the boxes? And I'll be honest, all of these is in all of us. That's why when we read the Bible, we should read every word from Jesus as if he is speaking to us. Because it's in every one of us. It is in every one of us. But as we pursue friendship with God, I pray that we would have the heart of King David in Psalm 119 when he says that he delights, he enjoys, he loves the commandments of God. It's not a drag. When I think of David and read Psalm 119, you see his heart. He's a man of a joyfully surrendered. He's a joyfully surrendered apprentice slash friend. He trusts that the teachings are good for him. So he continues to be hungry. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Transform my life. Your ways are higher than mine. This is what it means. So if I want to lay all this out of discipleship, I want to say it in four steps, is this. First, first things first, he has saved you and I by his grace. He is our savior. Secondly, he has invited us and called us to be his disciples. I'm going to separate those two. Even though they should go together, yeah, we can be saved, but not necessarily be following Jesus. So, first things first, we are saved by his grace. Secondly, he has invited us this high calling, this high privilege, called us to be his disciples. Thirdly, he has commanded us, not suggested, he has commanded us to be spirit-filled disciplers. Disciplers. And fourth, and this is really important, God, he is still the savior, he is still the shepherd, he is still the rabbi, he is still the king. As in, he has given us a commandment, but we should not forget it is still God who transforms lives. It is still God, not man, to be the rabbi of rabbis. What does it mean to be a discipler? It's just to be a sign in wonder. A sign that points to him. And you live a life in a way that makes people wonder something about this guy, something about this girl. There's something about them. Who's their rabbi? Who's their God? Who's our God? So, when it comes to being a discipler, what does that look like? Here's a challenge. The challenge of joy, joyful obedience to the Great Commission is this. I want to relieve some of us and say this. The question is not necessarily if we are doing it right now. The question is not, hey, are you making disciples right now? If you're not, if you love Jesus, start tomorrow. 
The question is not, are you making disciples right now? But the question is, is it, is it, is it on your grid? Is it in your sights? Is it in the horizon? Is that commandment there in our hearts and minds? Is it on our grid? Is it pursued? Are we preparing ourselves for it? Are we in apprenticeship to Jesus, preparing to be a discipler? Is it, is it what we're aiming for? Is it important to us? That's the question that I want to ask us today. And that's the question that I want to challenge each and every one of us. No matter how long you've been a Christian, the command still remains. The invitation still remains. Is it in your grid? Do you see yourself making disciples? Can you see yourself teaching the commands of Jesus? Is it in your trajectory? Is it a goal of yours? Because that's so crucial. That's so crucial. How is this a spiritual discipline? Because assumed within the word discipline is effort and intentionality. Right? In every spiritual discipline, Sabbath, reading the Bible, you know, um, praying, all these generosity, every single one of these disciplines, the nature of discipline is it requires effort and intentionality, thoughtfulness, planning, decisions, commitment. Same thing goes with making disciples. Is it thought about? Is, it, is there a plan? Is there a plan? Is it on our grid? And I really, really hope, and I really, really pray, and I really exhort every single one of us here who have the honor and privilege of following Jesus, I want to ask you, really pray about it. Ask the Lord, how can I joyfully obey how can I practice making disciples? What does that look like? What does it mean to teach your commandments? God, I don't know your commandments yet. Oh, Lord, I want to invest in these next two years to learn of your commandments. Think long-term. Think longevity. Yeah. And before I share some practical things to close this message, one thing I want to touch on is this, and this is really important. The goal and purpose of discipleship is not merely a self-help program to better ourselves. Okay, please get this. The goal of discipleship in all spiritual disciplines, it's not a Christian version of a self-help manual. It's not about, I'm just going to lay it out. I'm just going to lay it out. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about, can I be a better Discipler or whatnot. It's not about bettering the quality of our lives. It's not about the peace and joy to increase in our lives. God is for these things, but these are not the end goal. These are the byproducts of following Jesus. The byproducts. We shouldn't even be thinking about those things, right? These are the byproducts that we should be grateful for, not our aim. It is not about us. Discipleship is about Jesus. Discipleship is about making his name known. Discipleship is about manifesting the presence and life of Jesus in this dying world. Discipleship, it isn't even primarily for the dying world. Discipleship is at the end of the day, it's all about this. Jesus deserves worship from every single person walking on this planet. That is our motive of discipleship. He is a worthy king who laid down his life for you and I, the servants of all, who washed our feet. He is worthy of our affections, of our worship, of our lives. That is the reason why discipleship takes place. It's not about you and me. It's about making his name known. And what's the fruit that comes out of that? Revival on this earth. Restoration on this earth. The kingdom of God manifesting itself on this earth. But I just need to establish that. Before we walk out of this room thinking, how can I be a better Christian? How can I check off that box of that spiritual discipline? I'm not saying, I'm not saying be passive about it. I'm saying, you know, as we're pursuing 
and giving effort into this spiritual discipline and really thinking about it, know that the root of it is, I want to do this because Jesus, you're worthy. Amen? So, real quick, I want to talk about what is the practice to apply here. Practice to apply is this. One, first things first, be an apprentice. Be a disciple. Be a follower. Be a person of action. James said, a faith without action is dead. Have an action plan. Think about it. Be intentional about it. Ask ourselves, are we more of a fan? Are we right now? Are we more of a fan? Am I a follower? Am I a phony? Are we an apprentice of Jesus? How are the other spiritual disciplines that we've been learning about? Reading the Bible, prayer, intercession, practicing the presence of God, Sabbath. We're going to go into generosity. We're going to go into other things. How is that playing out in my life today? So be a disciple. Two, give yourself a timeline. Have a plan in mind. Have a plan in mind. How long are you going to be in Korea? How long have you been serving at this church? How long are you going to be here at this church? What is your game plan? Have a timeline. Give yourself a timeline. The disciples were apprentices for three years. I'm not saying it has to be three years, but really, which leads to number three, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. On a Sabbath day, get, get, you know, sit at the feet of Jesus and ask him, how can I make disciples today? What does that look like, Lord? Is this a time? What season am I in? I will never be fully ready. But when will we ever be fully ready? Were the disciples ready? <laughs> they just knew who was calling him. They just knew who was calling him. And fourth, serve. If Jesus is a servant, and if a servant is not above his master, where and how have you been serving today? This can range from serving in the community this can range from serving in your house with your roommates. This can range from serving in the community. This can range from serving in your relationships and the people in your relationships. Serving at your workplace. And serving implies doing things beyond bare minimum and what is expected. Service includes the intention of loving and blessing someone and fulfilling a need they have. That is all incorporated in discipleship. Live it out. Live out what we're learning from Jesus as his apprentice. Take action. And from that, God will provide the opportunity for you to make disciples. Live it out. And teach his commandments through word and in deed. Amen.